Welcome to the Rocky Railway here at St. Andrew, uh, where we have been spending this past week exploring the power of Jesus. Uh, we've gone up and down and all around the mountains, through tunnels and caves and around curves and bends. And we have talked about Jesus and how Jesus' power pulls us through. And uh, there was a statement every day that the conductor would share with all the volunteers and kids and participants. And essentially, we called it a Bible point. And the Bible point was something new about Jesus' power that we talked about every day. And after the Bible point was shared, the kids and volunteers and everyone would then shout back a simple response. Just two words. Trust Jesus. And so, uh, for example, it went something like this. Jesus' power gives us hope. Yeah, like I said to the 8 o'clock crowd, you guys are better than those three-year-olds that were in the front row. I mean, you got it on the first try. Uh, but that's what it was like. So now you got a little taste of what VBS was like this week for some of those kids. And along with that, as you might be able to tell, I was the conductor. And as you know, I really loved it. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to the kids about Jesus and his power. And um, it was interesting because it gave me kind of a different perspective hearing about where the kids saw Jesus in their lives. And we had some time to hear about that every day this week in what we would call God sightings. Uh, so we did it at the morning and in the afternoon when all the kids were gathered here in the sanctuary. I would ask, where are you seeing God? Uh, God sighting is essentially uh, where were they seeing God in their lives or in their experiences or just in the world or even at BBS? What was that like for them? And this morning, I thought it was kind of fitting to uh, share with you what the God sightings were, at least just a few. Six-year-old Lucy said that she sees the presence of God in sunsets. Eight-year-old Jacob said that he sees the presence of God in waterfalls. Five-year-old Logan said that he sees the presence of God in the mountains. Four-year-old Mitchell said that he sees the presence of God in his family. Seven-year-old Jenny said that she sees the presence of God in animals. And six-year-old Annie said that she sees the presence of God in the stars. Listening to these God sightings throughout the week made me realize how many of these things are things that we all see and experience and how God's presence and his power is quite literally all around us. I mean, if you notice, there was a common thread through each of these God sightings, something that takes us all the way back to the beginning of the story, the beginning of everything, back to creation, where God literally spoke the world into existence. The sun, the stars, the sun rises, the sun setting, the mountains, families, life as we know it's spoken by God. I mean, that is power. That is the power of God on display, and it continues to be on display in our lives today. And yet, I can't help but notice that we're not always thinking about God's presence in that way. Uh, we're not always seeing God in some of those ways. In fact, I think sometimes we're not even looking for God in those places. But God's promise is that he is indeed always there, that his power is always at work because he delivers his power to us in Jesus. Now, 
Sometimes when we talk about God sightings, I think we're looking for the big thing. Uh, we're looking for that big sign or a revelation, maybe the life-changing moment. And part of the reason, I think, is because that's kind of what happens in Scripture, right? As you heard the words from Paul in his letter to the people in Corinth, he, he tells them about a vision that a man had in which he was caught up to the third heaven. And he's not sure if this was in the body or out of the body, but God knows. And in that third heaven, he was in the midst of this paradise, and he's not sure if it was in the body or out of the body, but God knows. And there are details about this experience, this vision, that he can't even share, but God knows. On the one hand, this vision is one that's a little bit confusing, a little challenging for us to kind of hear and listen to, because it's just really obscure. It's obscure with all the details, but if you notice, there's a common thread that Paul keeps repeating. No matter what we know or don't know or the questions we have, God knows. And the fact that God knows changes everything. It reminds us, of course, that God is in control, but even more so, it serves as a reminder as to why Paul was writing to the people in Corinth in the first place. You'll remember that Paul wrote two letters to the people in Corinth, and in his first letter, he was writing to them about a lot of the stuff that they were dealing with, both in their local church and their local community. Uh, sin was awry. There was drunkenness and debauchery, jealousy, lying, sexual immorality, false teachers and preachers. I mean, there was just a lot of stuff going on, and it had filtered its way into the church, causing divisions and fractured understandings and all kinds of things that were just a mess. And so Paul, as politely as he can, tells them to kind of clean it up but he also is constantly feeding them, telling them the driving force behind why they're going to change, why they will change. That driving force, of course, is Jesus. And we see that with how Paul speaks here in his second letter. That as Paul is writing about these visions, he immediately goes to point back to Jesus. He guides these people through all these things, then he says, don't boast, don't think about anything else unless it's in Christ. Paul knows about the power in Jesus. He knows about the grace that comes through Jesus. And he knew that those people's lives, all those reading and listening, they too would know the power of Jesus changes lives. I mean, remember, Paul knew this firsthand. He was the guy who used to be persecuting Christians and yet was now going around and writing letters to the people in the church. I mean, that's changed. That in and of itself is a testament to the power of God. But Paul doesn't stop there, right? He continues to talk about the power, and he relays it in a very specific sort of way. He highlights the way in which he's learned one very specific thing about the power of God and how it's on display in his life. And it wasn't through some sort of revelation or vision. It was through Jesus. That Jesus appears to him and tells him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I imagine that was tough for Paul to hear. In the same way, it's tough for us to hear. So when we think about power, we don't think about weakness. Those two things don't really go together. If something is weak, it does not have power. It is not powerful. I looked it up in the thesaurus to confirm. Those things are antonyms. When you're thinking about power, you're not thinking about Weakness. Being in power is all about being strong and in control, taking on responsibility and authority. All things which are good, but generally speaking, being powerful 
does not mean being weak. Now, uh, thinking about power in this way, it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite movies growing up. It was, it's the movie called Cool Runnings. Uh, it's a Disney movie about the first Jamaican bobsled team. And uh, in this movie, basically the whole premise is that there are four sprinters from Jamaica who wanted to qualify for the Summer Olympics. Something goes awry, they don't qualify, and so they end up wanting to then figure out how to get to the Olympics, and of course they learn about bobsledding. Now, uh, after some kind of a hardcore learning and training sessions, they work really hard, and eventually they do learn and they actually qualify for the Olympics, but as you might imagine, they are outsiders. If for one reason, because, well, most people don't associate Jamaica with the winter, uh, but along with that, of course, it's their first time doing it. So when they arrive in Calgary for the Winter Olympics that year, they are exposed to all kinds of bullying and teasing because, well, they're not part of the original groups of people. And this kind of plays itself out at a, at a bar scene where all the Olympic teams are gathered and hanging out. And um, one of the Jamaicans gets bullied and picked on by a different team, one of the dominant countries at the Olympics, especially in bobsledding. And after that happens, uh, one of the Jamaican teammates comes over, grabs his teammate who was just bullied, and he takes him into the bathroom. And he says, look in the mirror and tell me what you see. And the man looks in the mirror and he says his name. Right? He's looking at himself. But his teammate grabs him by the shoulder and he says, you want to know what I see? I see pride, I see power, and I see a bad man who won't take no crap from nobody. And then he tells his teammate to repeat that over and over and over again until he believes it, until he's shouting in the bathroom mirror that he is pride and power and all these things, and then he just storms out of the bathroom, leaving his teammate kind of confused. And he goes up to the man who picked on him, and he says all these things into his face, and then a fight breaks out. I mean, when you think about it, that's not surprising at all. Right? Uh, being powerful is how we associate those things. Being able to stand up for yourself and proclaiming it to someone else, making sure that people know that you have power. And don't get me wrong, being powerful is a good feeling. Trust me, I know. I just spent the last week with over 170 kids and I controlled them with blowing a train whistle. <laughs> Y'all, that's power and it felt good. And I'm sure all of you have had that experience as well. Uh, maybe power looks like getting over a big fear in your life and then being able to move forward. Uh, maybe power looks like asking for that raise that you've always wanted and worked hard for and you finally get it. Maybe power is getting promoted and then you actually have power over people who are underneath you, listening to you, following you. Power is a good thing. Being powerful feels good. But eventually, at a certain point, there is something that will remind you that you are not all powerful. Sometimes uh, it's a catastrophic mistake or a failure. Sometimes it's added up mistakes, small ones, over and over and over again. And sometimes it's what Paul talks about in our lesson for today when he talks about that thorn in his side. Something that feels as though it was a messenger from Satan brought to us. And we all know what that thorn feels like. It's excruciatingly painful, and it's always there. Even a thorn so small still draws blood. And we ask God to remove it, and he doesn't. And all it does is remind us that we are weak, that we need help, that we're brought to our knees crying out and begging for it. I mean, as Paul describes this thorn, it's quite 
powerful. At least that's how it sounds. And I'm sure that whatever that thorn is in your life, whatever causes you to feel weak, also feels like it has power. Perhaps not because it's so great and strong, but rather because like a thorn, it can easily cut us. See, it doesn't look like something that can hurt you, and yet it can not only hurt you, it can cause you to suffer. And Jesus, he knew a thing or two about thorns. See, the thorns that he faced were not on his side or in his side, but they still caused him to suffer. And the thorns that he faced were not thorns that he carried around for his entire life, but instead they were placed on him in the shape of a crown. And the thorns that he faced were actually given to him as a sign of his lack of power, as a sign, as a symbol of his weakness. The thorns that Jesus faced were ones that were put upon his head as he hung upon a cross. But those thorns did not prevail. See, uh, those thorns were upon his head, but as Jesus hung upon the cross with the thorns on his head and the blood rushing down in front of all the people, his power was already on display. And the power of Jesus is a life-giving, life-changing power. It's a power that allowed him to die and conquer death and the grave and rise from the grave to new life. The power of Jesus is greater than any thorn. The power of Jesus overcomes perhaps the greatest thorn that is death itself and defeats it and rises up in victory. It is a power that has transformed the whole world from the beginning of time and continues to transform hearts and minds for all those who believe. It is this same power that Jesus is talking about when he says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul prays to God fervently asking for his thorn to be removed. Maybe you've done that too. And maybe you've prayed to God fervently asking for your thorn to be removed. And Jesus could remove it, but he doesn't. Instead, he tells you that that thorn has no power over you. That he has come to defeat that thorn. That he has already won over that thorn. That his grace is enough. His power is enough. His power is made perfect in our weakness. His death is enough. His resurrection is enough. And his return will be enough. That is the power of Jesus. You know, uh, all this talk about the Rocky Railway this past week got me thinking back to my time when I was in Denver uh, for my year-long pastoral internship. And this was a few years ago, and uh, uh, the church there had a really unique ministry that served a largely growing homeless population in the Denver metro area. And uh, when I got there, it had been going on for about, I think I was there in the ninth year at this point, so it was kind of well-established. Uh, they had a lot of connections in the community, and they had a lot of regular attenders. See, basically, it was every Thursday night, and they would serve dinner, and immediately following dinner, they would have worship in the same space where they were eating. Uh, so it was kind of like having worship at the dinner table, so to speak, kind of like we all did during uh, the last year or so. And uh, basically, as the people gathered, and when I got there, they were ready for me. See, I mean, after nine years, they were used to getting a pastoral intern, so they were excited to meet me. I mean, I remember my first Thursday there, they all were coming up to me and greeting me and saying hi. Uh, but there's one guy in particular that stood out to me because he pulled me to the side. 
And he looked at me and he said, Vicar, I've heard good things about you. I hope they're true. And I looked back at him and I said, If they're good, I hope they're true too. We'll see. And every Thursday for my first month, I had that same interaction with that same guy. He came up, said the same thing to me, we went back and forth. And I was kind of confused by that. I wondered why he kept saying it. And so eventually, I went to the, one of the senior pastors there, and I asked him, hey, who's that? Like, what's the story? And he goes, oh, that's Turtle. We love Turtle, but, you know, he's kind of a hoot, right? Uh, actually, he's usually drunk every week that he's here. And uh, that was kind of interesting, because then I wondered, well, did Turtle actually hear good things about me? I don't really know. But I never went back and asked. Instead, that was just kind of part of our interaction. And as the weeks went on, I got to know Turtle a little bit better. Uh, he was well known in the homeless community as a homeless man himself. Uh, he'd been living on the streets for quite some time, but when the table first opened, he was there. And he was there every Thursday after that, and he became a presence at the table. You knew when Turtle was around. He was a, a bright, kind of smiling guy, greeting people, hanging out. That was Turtle. Now, he always talked about how much he loved Jesus and he loved being at the table, which is what the ministry was called. And after kind of learning more about him, I was always a little bit skeptical of whether or not that was really true about which part of him was actually speaking. But I couldn't have been more wrong. See, it was a Thursday in March. And uh, Turtle was the kind of guy who would always arrive early. Like, you just kind of knew he was going to be there. We expected him. And he would be greeting people. He would put his stuff down at his table and then move around. And that Thursday, Turtle wasn't early, and eventually he walked in, and I didn't even recognize him. And so after a couple minutes went by, I was looking around the room, and I was like, hey, who's Turtle? Who's that guy over there? And someone came up to me, and they're like, that's Turtle. And I was like, that, that's not Turtle. It doesn't even look like him. And they were like, oh, no, it's him. He's had a bit of a rough week. And so uh, I went over to him, and I sat down next to him, and uh, when he picked his head up, uh, he had scabs and scars all over his forehead and his nose. Uh, still looked pretty fresh on his cheeks. Uh, his hands, his knuckles were, were kind of bloody. Uh, you could see the dried blood on his neck, and his hands were a little swollen. And I said, Turtle, what happened? And he told me that last week, when he had left church, walking home that night to his camp location, he was hit by a car. And uh, the car left him on the side of the road and drove away. And so eventually uh, he made it to a hospital and he got some care, but there was only so much that they could really do. And then uh, he told me that when he was leaving the hospital, he wanted to make it back here. He didn't want to miss church. That he knew that Jesus was with him and that he wanted to be with Jesus. Church, the power of Jesus is on display in our lives, sometimes in the places that we least expect it. Sometimes in the places that we don't even think we're going to see it. And I don't know what your thorn is. I don't know what that thing is that's causing you to feel weak. But I know that it doesn't have any power over you. Jesus has the power. He has defeated your thorn and your weakness. His power lives in you. His grace is enough for you. It goes on forever and ever. And His love will pull you through anything. The power of Jesus is in each and every one of us. And His power will indeed pull us through. Church, Jesus' power gives us hope. Trust Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Amen. As we